What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Roundhouse Radio Podcast. Today, let's dive right into the Roundhouse Rundown. You know how we like to start these things off. So first things first, we've got the official numbers, or at least the somewhat official numbers, because I've been seeing different numbers in a lot of different places. However, this one's, you know, CBS Sports, MMA Mania. I've seen a couple different things, and it's what the Ohio State Athletic Commission officially said was how much Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley made for their boxing match, and it was a guaranteed... Two million dollars. Okay, guys? So if you're wondering why Tyron Woodley is so game to get this tattoo, we're talking about a guaranteed two million dollars. So that's that's excluding the fact that he got, you know, promotional deals. You see the big dude wipe sign on the back of Tyron Woodley's trunks. It's excluding the inevitable pay-per-view portion that they both bought got, sorry. So I mean when you look at it, obviously it's very relevant. For these guys, that boxing, you make a lot more money. Guys, to compare, Tyron Woodley made $4,875,000 in the rest of his USC career. That's confirmed earnings. Again, that's not pay-per-view cuts or anything like that. But that still just shows that like, in one boxing match, this guy made as much as his 20 pro fights in the UFC. Not in the UFC. It's like his, his, all of his MMA fights combined almost. He made half as much as that. So obviously, he's got pretty big financial incentive to try to get this rematch. I get it. It all makes sense now. Number two, guys, Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier in the works for UFC 269 in December. That's obviously a super exciting fight, guys. We're super pumped for that here. You know, we're big Dustin Poirier fans, but we're also big Oliveira fans. And just in general, I'm a big fight fan, and that's a good fight, man. If you look at the actual stylistic matchup of that, you look at the heart, the durability, the jiu-jitsu versus the boxing, the Muay Thai striking versus just Dustin mixing it up. Super, super exciting fight. But more exciting than that fight, we get UFC 268 on the same night as Canelo versus Plant. So guys, if this happens like the last time this happened, I remember they had to delay the Canelo fight because everyone was watching the UFC. No one was buying the fight, so they had to delay the fight by like an hour. Regardless, we're going to be live streaming that whole like night event. Super, super exciting for a guy like me, a fight fan like myself. Hopefully you guys can come and enjoy that live stream as well because man, that's going to be exciting. UFC 268 is stocked, man. That's one of the best UFC fight cards I've seen in a long time. You know, you got Kamara Usman rematching Colby Covington, a ton of other fantastic fights. And then Canelo Plant is a fight, in my opinion, that's flying under a lot of people's radar. I think it's super, super exciting. I'm very excited for that fight. I think that Canelo is the obvious favorite, but if there's one guy that you simply can't count out, you're not allowed to count him out, it's Caleb Plant, man. The guy is a fighter through and through. Stylistically, he's a good matchup for Canelo, right? Can he get it done? That's a tougher question, but is his style a good style against Canelo? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the best style that you can go in there against Canelo with. So very, very exciting fight. On on a sadder note, though, Darren Till loses to Derek Brunson. I mean, it's sad if you're a Till fan. It's obviously not sad if you're a Derek Brunson fan. I got to say, Derek Brunson, you know, definitely very limited on the feet, right? Uh, it was clear that Darren had a big advantage there. But then once he took it to the ground, man, the fight just wasn't comparable, man. Like, Darren Till was totally dominated on the ground. And I think the fact that Derek was able to, right at the start of the fight, get such great ground and pound in, man. He really sort of broke the spirit of Darren Till a little bit. Obviously not, but, like, the the whole spirit of Darren Till. The guy's got a pretty unbreakable mindset. But definitely, you know, sort of threw him off right at the start of the fight. Darren tried to come back. 
did pretty well for a second, and then Derek just got the takedown, choked him out, and that was the fight, man. It's unfortunate. A guy like Darren Till still very young in his career, still just starting out. They kind of threw him in there with Lions lately. A lot of people are pointing out that he's 1-4 in his last five UFC fights. Not the best record. Then you look at the guys he's fighting and losing to, and it's just like, come on, man. Robert Whitaker, prime Tyron Woodley. Like, just just crazy. You know what I mean? For, for these guys to really be counting Darren Till out. I do think they should lower his level of competition just to get him a couple wins, just to get him back in there. However... You know, just is what it is, man. On a, on a happy note for the guys from Liverpool, uh, Patty Pimblett makes his debut. And he made it in style. He made it in fashion. Got cracked, man. Like, he obviously still has a little ways to go. However, he was able to come through that adversity. He's just a scrapper, man. He came in. He got the great knockout. That was great to see from our boy, Patty Pimblett. I mean, it's really interesting because Darren Till's 28. Patty Pimblett's 26, man. A lot of people think there's this massive age gap between these guys. There really is not, man. They're both... They're both kind of just injecting themselves in the UFC and a lot of people because Tar- Darren Till's been around a little bit longer. They're trying to count out Patty Plumblet, but I mean, sorry, they're trying to count out Darren Till, but that's a bit ridiculous, man. He's just at the start of his career. So that's it for the Roundhouse Rundown, guys. Super exciting stuff, man. I hope you guys are there with me on UFC 268. In a couple weeks, we're also going to be streaming uh, Uzik versus Anthony Joshua. That's going to be right here on YouTube and ideally also on Twitch, but I got to get that sorted out. Regardless, guys, thank you so much. That was the Roundhouse Rundown. Let's go into the Ask Roundhouse section of the podcast, my favorite part of the podcast, and ideally your favorite part of the podcast. Let's get right into it, guys. Hey, guys, I just want to say thanks to everyone that asked a question. I also wanted to take a moment that we got over 300 questions total, like well over 300 questions. So obviously, I'm going to do my best to get back to as many as possible. However, there's obviously a massive limitation. I think we'll probably get 20 done today. Although I just want to say how grateful and thankful I am for you guys asking those questions. Thanks so much. First, let's start off with how dangerous can boxing get from Secret Espresso? Well, unfortunately, you know, there was a tragedy last weekend, I believe it was in Montreal. Female boxer, 18 years old, was killed in the ring. We've also seen, you know, the Pritchard Conlon situation um, and many other boxers dying. So when you ask how dangerous can boxing get, well, it can get as dangerous as anything can get, right? You can lose your life in that sport. Um, super unfortunate, but it's the reality of the situation, right? And more than just losing your life, I mean, there's so many guys that because they didn't do the, the correct training methods and they went old school with it where they were sparring every day and going into these egotistical gyms where the sparring isn't sparring, like it's straight up fighting, you know, like these guys are taking massive shots, massive damage, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's very unfortunate, but even people that don't reach high levels in the sport can lose a lot of their life, right? You lose a lot of their cognitive abilities. And that's why I think that it's of the utmost stress that you have to be not egotistical when you're learning how to box. You have to be strategic with your training you have to be strategic with your brain health and understand that you're not going to be better than than cte you know you're not going to be better than brain trauma it can get all of us no one's special no one's more tough than it and i think that you know hard sparring has a place and especially near the earlier stages of your training and when you're trying to learn how to fight and if you haven't had a fight yet it's probably good to get some hard sparring in however at the end of the day man Boxing can get very, very dangerous. So it's about limiting your risk. And if you don't want to be a pro boxer, just understand that 
like understand that, you know what I mean? And, and be okay with that. And don't try to let people, don't have people, you know, try to convince you to, to get in the ring and spar super hard and, you know, do whatever it is, right? Like just be okay with not being a pro and train differently than a pro would train. Don't, don't spar many, many weeks in a row, right? Just enjoy your life, train because you love the sport, train for that. And it's not dangerous at all, right? Because boxing can be the most, like one of the most dangerous sports in the world. And it can also be completely harmless to you, right? If you're not sparring hard, if you're not fighting, like nothing bad is going to happen to you in boxing, right? If you're just hitting mitts, hitting the pad, doing light touch sparring, doing drills with your friends, like, no, it's perfectly, perfectly safe. And you'll still learn how to box by doing that, right? Obviously, you won't like get to that next stage, but you'll still do well in boxing. You'll still get good at it and you won't have to pay the price, right? How do shorter fighters beat taller ones in boxing? Well, a couple good case studies for this is pretty much any Mike Tyson fight. He was almost always the shorter fighter. Another great case study for this is Andy Ruiz versus Anthony Joshua, the first one, obviously. And I mean, their second fight is a good example of how to how a taller fighter can beat shorter fighters. And I think there's a misconception, especially with weight classes when you're not in the heavyweight division, right? When you got shorter shorter fighters fighting taller fighters, but they're the same weight, right? So a lot of these shorter fighters are a bit stockier, where the taller fighters are going to be a bit leaner, a bit thinner. And at the end of the day, I would say with a broad statement that being taller is an advantage, right? Like you're just going to have an advantage if you're taller because you've got longer reach, especially in kickboxing when you've got longer legs, et cetera, et cetera. However, when you look at guys like Tyron Woodley in his earlier MMA fights, you know, guys, like I said, Andrew Ruiz, guys like Mike Tyson, the way they beat taller fighters is they made it almost like a disadvantage for the taller guy because they did what they, what is the fundamental of beating a taller fighter. And that is to either engage or be out of range, right? So when you're the shorter fighter, you don't want to sit in the range of your opponent because they're just going to jab you, you know, one, two. If you're kickboxing, they're going to throw teeps down the middle and they're just going to keep you at that range and just sort of pick you apart. So when you're the shorter fighter, what you have to do is you have to either be completely out of both of your ranges or you kind of explode in and you enter your range. And then the taller fighter will often have trouble, especially in boxing, will often have trouble sort of getting at you because you're too close to them. But your hands can still land with especially these like, you know, those low looping overhand shots that a lot of shorter fighters enjoy. So it can actually be a benefit if you use it effectively. How to get in is obviously something that's complicated when you're the shorter fighter. That's why you see that a lot of shorter fighters, what they'll do is they'll get really good at countering shots. So they'll wait for that jab to come out. They'll slip it, and that's when they'll explode in and they'll throw a combination. So that's kind of the, the very simple, very basic way to beat a, t a taller fighter as a shorter one is to be either completely out of range or very in range. So that's kind of the, the fundamental way to do it. I hope that helped a little bit. I don't want to get too, too in with it. How was your time in the military? Man, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So, I mean, I got out because I didn't want to be spiteful of it. And I know that a lot of people, you know, ask around, man, a lot of people end up spiteful if they spend too much time in the military, just because it's very limiting on your lifestyle. However, you know, I signed up when I was 17, you know, got in right after my 18th birthday. Like it was kind of the perfect time period for me, gave me the discipline and, and the maturity that I now have. And then I was able to take that and be successful in other avenues of my life. Right. So I think if you approach it with a positive mindset, you get to serve your country, you get to develop a lot of great, really useful skills. 
and you get to sort of get that cool guy badge that a lot of people like you know i don't really care about that sort of stuff but for me it was very good just just as a, as a development tool for me as a person right the guys that met me when i was first in training like they would tell you that i i'm a completely different person now than i was when i first got in so yeah very useful for me i think it's a great tool especially for young men that might be you know lacking maybe a little bit of that guidance or they want a little bit more guidance in their life very very useful tool for that thoughts on stem cells to heal injuries neon Sorry, guys, I forgot to call people out, man. That was Ramzen B and Yobildgar. I don't know how to pronounce that. But this one's Neon. Thoughts on stem cell to heal injuries. I'm not really a doctor. I was looking into this about my shoulder. Found out it was going to cost me like $30,000 to get it done. So I was like, okay, I don't know about that. And then the doctors that I'm working with kind of told me that it, it works and it can be very beneficial. However, because it's so expensive, that's something you got to consider. And more than that... Also, just with the general consensus, it's not like board approved. You know, it's not like across the board approved by doctors. And a lot of them sort of are very hesitant about it. A lot more, very more accepting, right? If you talk to sports doctors, they're usually going to be a bit more accepting of stem cells than, for example, like a traditional doctor. And you got to realize medicine's pretty slow to adopt new things. So, I'm not a doctor, but it's definitely something, if you have the assets and the money, I mean, definitely look into that. If you don't, probably probably best to go with conventional medical research. But like I said, I'm not a doctor. Like, I'm not, I'm not positive about that stuff. Colby Covington versus Usman 2. Predictions from Chris Healy. Thanks, Chris Healy, man. Um, ooh, I don't know. This is a whole video for itself, man. We'll be doing breakdowns of this fight. We'll be, you know, going into the... We'll break down the fight after it happens, and we're going to live stream the event like I just said. But, man, overall, what I will say is, here, here's a point without giving away too much, man. Usman's obviously developed as a striker, right? His striking has gotten better. And I think that Colby Covington mentioned, hey, man, I got to grapple more in, in the rematch. And I totally agree with him. I think he does have to mix it up. And the reason that Usman was able to beat Colby Covington and what I think would be a negative for Colby again in this fight is, if you watch Colby fight, his defense is very one-dimensional. And what I mean by that is, you know, his, his guard is in the right place. He keeps his hand glued to the side of his face. And then he leads with his lead hand and he'll try to sort of parry a little bit. But he doesn't really parry that often. What he actually does to defend himself is he just slides back, right? And so he slides back and he has his hand on the side. And what does that open himself up to? Well, what the problem is, is especially as the fight goes on, he gets more tired. As Usman starts to get a read on his range, he's sliding back, but his hands glued to his side and he doesn't have a good parry so Usman throws these straight shots right down the pipe and is able to land them and as we saw in Jorge Masvidal fight you know as we saw in the Gilbert Burns fight Usman's getting really good with that straight piston right hand right down the pipe and with that straight piston jab so if Colby Covington's coming in with a defense that is just sort of one-dimensionally moving backwards keeping his hand up without having a good parry you know if he if he develops a good parry He'll actually be okay. That would actually be good for him. But if he doesn't, he's gonna. If he if he's still doing this one-dimensional, straightforward defense, he's gonna have a bit more trouble, right? So that's something that I'm looking at very closely when I'm developing my prediction. As far as my actual prediction, I don't quite have one yet. However, I am leaning towards Kamaru Usman in this fight because I think that Kamaru has been more active. He's been fighting higher-level competition, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, and he's working with Trevor Women, who's like apparently just the mastermind of all MMA fighters. Like, God, everyone that goes and works with that guy gets way better. It's crazy. 
pad work or sparring which is better at for different stages guided youth i i really disagree with sparring very very new unless you're sparring guys that are like really really legit guys way way better than you and nothing to prove does that make sense i don't believe in competitive sparring until you're a bit closer to being ready to fight i agree with touch sparring and almost almost rhythmic like teach me how to fight sparring where your partners are so much better than you that they've got nothing to prove they're not going to hurt you and then you bring in these newer guys and you just sort of have them throw punches at another human being so sparring in in a very safe sense and not really sparring like you can't really call that sparring i would call it touch sparring but touch sparring with high level guys you can do that literally like two weeks into your training right real sparring uh, i mean I ideally, I would wait three months, six months. Really, I'm, I'm very passionate about slowly, slowly growing fighters. And pad work, you can start right away. But I mean, what people forget about, you know, both these questions, there's, there's one that you're missing here, man. Shadow boxing is the foundation of all boxing. So that's stage one, man. Stage one is the boring, like you're literally just punching nothing. You're just one, two. One, you're working on your footwork, right? You're working on your stance. You're not hitting anything. And you'll see with guys that they work with specific trainers, guys that work with specifically those like fitness coaches or, or people that don't really understand boxing but are, you know, cashing that check by having private sessions with people that don't know boxing either. So, and they just do pad work. They don't do any sparring. They don't do, they don't do any fundamental shadow boxing or anything like that that's where you get a problem because these guys are just building bad habits by hitting the mitts incorrectly so i think that i think that you can't be good at boxing without sparring because you have to understand what it's like to have a guy in front of you but you should not rush the process of sparring right and and if you're going to rush the process of sparring make sure to do it with guys that are so much better than you that they know they would win so they don't have anything to prove because those are not the guys that are going to hurt you the guys that are going to hurt you ironically are the guys with the least amount of experience because they're just going to be winging absolute bombs right so trust your sparring partners if you're going to spar pad work you can do just as much pad work as you want it's a really a literal no lose situation so and then and then the third is shadow boxing man like shadow box more than you would think is is an appropriate amount like just double it whatever the amount you think is appropriate for shadow boxing double it because it's an invaluable skill and and shadow box correctly like you're actually boxing and then do pad work and then you can get into sparring i don't know if that helped but obviously what i mean is it starts with shadow boxing goes to pad work and then it goes to sparring and I think you can do that comfortably within a six month time period especially if if who you're training or yourself are a healthy young athletic individual that's picking things up decently well if they're obviously having more trouble take even take even longer right what do you do for free time what games do you play Khalid Yula sorry I, I hope I didn't uh, I hope I didn't bastardize your last name there but what do I do for my free time right now I don't have too much free time <laughs> so I work full-time right I do roundhouse radio we're trying to work on other businesses develop other things so right now my free time is sort of not However, I definitely love Forza racing games, you know, UFC 3, that's a fun game. I tried to get in UFC 4 and I just hated it. And then we got this new boxing game coming out called, I forgot what it is, but... So I, I do play some video games and then I just kind of work and then I try to exercise as much as possible and obviously train as much as possible. But like I said, super, super busy right now and I'm unhealthy right I'm trying to get my shoulder fixed. So as far as my spare time, not too much of it right now, guys, but Forza, I race around a little bit. I work a lot and then I work a bit more even more.
<laughs> oh, that answered your question, man. You got to grind sometimes, guys. You got to you got to put your head to the to the grindstone every once in a while. Get things done. You know, get after it. That's life, man. Like that's life. Dutch style kickboxing or Thai from Kevin Shooten. Dutch style kickboxing or Thai. Interesting. Really depends on what sort of competition you're going to look for. Because if you go into a Thai competition and you only have Dutch style kickboxing training, you're going to get murdered in the clinch because the rule set is much more catered towards clinch fighting. And in Thai fighting, you're going to clinch fight more than you're going to, you're literally going to clinch fight as much, if not more than you're going to fight from range, right? Especially depending on your opponent. But I mean, it's, it's insane how important the clinch is in Thai fighting, especially in Thailand, right? I mean, you go and train at a very strict Thai school, you'll literally spend like half the session just clinching, right? Which is awesome. Dutch style kickboxing, on the other hand, much more boxing and kicking related, right? And they work, they work much more on having a super strong guard. They work, work a lot more and rely a lot more on having bigger gloves. And they also deal with counters on every shot, whereas a lot of Thai fighters would sort of grab you a bit quicker. And, and they, well, they work on their counters too consistently. I mean, it's tough, man. What I will say is a benefit and negative is, you know, Thai fighting is way older than Dutch kickboxing way older so they haven't really developed it too too much from the past but also it's had more time to develop so it's a much more mature sport dutch style kickboxing though they're more willing to accept new styles and new techniques and new tactics right so it's a balance where you're kind of dealing with this stuff my favorite is dutch style kickboxing that's what i like better just because you know the tie clinch can get a bit frustrating, especially in fights. However, you know, when I first started, I started I su- started super traditional Thai, and then I started training in kickboxing gyms. And I will tell you that the, the difference in clinch level was pretty dramatic, and it's something I noticed right away. But it didn't matter because in kickboxing rules, I think from what I know, and I could be wrong here, but you only have a couple seconds of clinch before the referee will, will break it, and you're only allowed a, a few strikes from the clinch. You're not actually allowed a variety of strikes from the clinch. So if I was an MMA fighter, I would probably train Thai because you're going to have more clinch time. But if I was a kickboxer, I would train obviously Dutch style kickboxing. It's, it's tough. That's a super tough question. Honestly, what do you think about Vasily Lomachenko? Rakiti Tam. I love Vasily Lomachenko. I think he is massively underrated. I think he's, you know, it was weird. He was overrated at a time and then he was underrated. Like, I think Vasily Lomachenko, here, here's something I'll talk about. One, he's just a masterclass. He's, he is just so masterful at his craft. And he is one of my favorite guys to study when I look at boxing. When you, look, when you want to have some sort of inspiration for your boxing ability, look for, look for Lomachenko because his movement is perfect. His defense is phenomenal. His offense, phenomenal. His placement, literally better than anyone else in boxing. His trap setting is crazy how good he sets his traps, right? His ability to read the fight, insane. And people, re- they forget that Vasily Lomachenko is not a 135-pound fighter. He just is not, right? He went to 135 pounds because that's where the competition was. But he is at a size disadvantage. You watch the, his last fight against um, Lopez. Is it Lopez? I'm going to go with Lopez. Um and the, the, you look at their backs, and you can see the size difference. is just massive. Massive size difference, right? He's down like 10 pounds. 
at least five pounds, but more more likely 10 pounds because he's not cutting any weight. His opponent is cutting weight and trying to make this, this matchup. There's a big size difference, right? And then he loses. And in a very razor close fight, by the way, it's not like he, you know, it was like a big loss for him. And people go, classic boxing fans, right? They literally never learn. People go, oh yeah, he was overrated. He wasn't even that good. And I'm like, man, the same boxing fans that go, oh man, it's so annoying that we, that, you know, we don't get to see the best fight the best. We, we don't get to see any of our favorite fighters take any risks. And then a guy like Vasily Lomachenko, he takes a risk. He goes up in weight. He fights the toughest guys that he can fight. And then he loses, and everyone goes, man, he wasn't even good, dude. He wasn't even good. Like, it's not even about that. It's like you guys that do that are literally the, the, the reason why boxers are so obsessed with keeping their O. They're so obsessed with not losing, and they'll do anything they can to make sure they're not fighting the toughest opponents because the idea of a 50-50 fight scares the crap out of them because they know how much market value they lose if their O goes away. And that's why, to me, it was awesome that Vasily Lomachenko lost his first pro fight because then he never had this like coveted O to protect, right? He was able to take bigger risks. And he fought the biggest guys. He fought the most challenging guys. You know, he fought Luke Campbell. He fought... Um, and, he, and he was willing to fight Gervonta Davis. Like He was willing to fight these guys, and they didn't line it up because they didn't want to lose to him. And he took a risk, and he lost, and now people are trying to count him out. I think he's phenomenal, man. I think he's underrated. And I think that people really have to introspectively look at themselves and be like, maybe it should be okay for boxers to lose. Because that's why that's why the UFC is a more, straight up, is more exciting week by week than boxing is. Boxing has moments, events that are like, whoa, this is actually happening. But overall, the UFC every week is putting on better fights because they're putting the best versus the best. And if they lose, people go, whatever, man. Like, look at Nate Diaz's career. People don't care that he loses. They want to watch him fight because they like watching him fight. So that's my rant about Vasily Lomachenko. To answer your question, though, I'd love him. I think it's phenomenal. If your life depended on it, okay. I don't know why my life is depending on this one. If your life depended on it, who would you pick to beat Floyd Mayweather in his prime? Pac-Man, Canelo, or Golov- Golovkin? Interesting. Samuel Correa. Well, I, I don't think we can pick Golovkin because he never really fought below 160 in the time that Floyd was really messing around. Hmm. And am I allowed to like change the timeline of these fighters? Because what I would do to do that is I would just put Canelo versus Floyd, but I would wait till Floyd's like 40. <laughs> <laughs> no, Floyd in his prime. Well, then Canelo has to be allowed to be in his prime too. Canelo's huge in his prime, though. He's way too big for Floyd. So you put him on the list. So I'm picking Canelo. So yeah, yeah, let's put big prime Canelo versus small prime Floyd. I think that Canelo would have the best bet to win there. But I'm only picking him because my life depends on it. I think that Floyd wins all those fights, honestly. I just think that he's stylistically a bad matchup for all three of those guys, honestly. Do you think Colby Covington is deserving of his title rematch, Mike Bronson? Thanks for the question, Mike. Do I think Colby Covington is deserving of his title rematch? Interesting, interesting. I'm going to go with a controversial take here. And I'm going to say I don't think he is. And the only reason I don't think he is, it's not that I don't think he's of the level... It's not that I don't understand exactly why they're doing it right. Super marketable fight, really close first fight. 
classic first fight. Like, instant classic, the first fight was. So, the first fight was fantastic. I'm super excited for the second fight. But when I look at the rest of the division, you have to go, well, who's winning more? Who's beat more of the top 10 guys? Who's got a better streak going? Who's being more active? And Colby Covington's none of those guys, right? Realistically, you look at Colby Covington, doesn't have a win over any top 10 ranked UFC fighters. Okay, well, any top 10 welterweight fighters. Okay, kind of weird. Fought one time since, since their, their last fight, and it was against a guy that hadn't won in two fights at that point. Tyron Woodley, I get it, but then he went on to lose again. You know, you can see that it was at the end of his career. You have to wonder about the value of that win. Still, in my opinion, a very valuable win, but when you got a guy like Vicente Luque who beat, you know, Tyron Woodley and then he beat Michael Chiesa and then he's, you know, way more active, why is he not getting the fight, right? And, and before he lost, you know, Michael Chiesa, super active. Why isn't he getting the fight? And to me, the only reason why I'm kind of like hesitant on saying he's deserving, and he is, man, right? Like he did so well in the first fight, number one ranked, he beat Woodley, right? Like I get it. Like he's deserving on paper. Hear me out though. All I'm saying is it looks as if the UFC is encouraging inactivity, right? And you, you, you see that with Leon Edwards as well, right? Leon Edwards was super inactive, and he just kept being like, yeah, give me the title. And it was like, you haven't fought since 2019, man. And then he fought one time, eye poke, and then he beat Nate Diaz. And he's still kind of right there in title talks. Because if you don't lose, it seems like you withhold your standing, your ranking, right? But if you fight three times and happen to lose, your ranking will lower. So the UFC and the ranking system, not really the UFC, but the ranking system is rewarding inactivity from fighters because you can't lose if you're inactive. So you got to maintain your your spot. A bit silly in my opinion, right? So I'm not saying Colby Covington's not deserving. He, he definitely is, right? He's definitely the best guy in the division other than Kamaru Usman, in my opinion. You know, Gilbert Burns is up there too. But when we look at, is he deserving? It's a tough question, right? It is a tough question because what, is Gilbert Burns deserving? I think so. He just beat Wonder Boy, but that was one fight removed from his Usman fight, and no one's really talking about him for the title right now. But everyone's talking about Colby for the title, and it's because Colby's, you know, guy sells tickets. He definitely sells tickets. What are you passionate about besides boxing, young gats, um, combatives, <laughs> guns, <laughs> stuff like that? You know, like. I don't know. I guess other fighting methods than just boxing um, and, and entrepreneurship. Those are my two big ones. I'm excited for what you guys, you know, will get to experience as we go along here. There'll be a lot of other cool things that I'm sure I'll be able to come up with as we go. And we're going to start a new comedy channel soon, which is going to be really fun. We'll react to other stuff as well. And then uh, ideally get some some cool businesses started up and other fun stuff that we can do. And this community is really, really just getting started. And yeah, those are my passions, right? And and I'm kind of all passioned up right now. You know what I mean? I'm kind of at a, at a maximum of what I can do time-wise. So this is my passion. Presenting is my passion. Being an analyst is my passion. Obviously, fighting is my passion. And yeah, other combatives, other forms of combatives are definitely my passion as well. How do you feel about Kamaru Usman? Do Nathan, what's up, man? Thanks for the question. Like Kamara Usman, again, there's another example of a guy who's just top, top level, right? Like he's the best right now. He's the best welterweight right now. And 
within a couple fights, he's the best welterweight ever. Like, he's literally that close. And then when you compare him to guys like GSP and stuff like that, it's like GSP was fighting inarguably lower-level competition. And, I mean, it's inarguable because the UFC has developed, grown, and gotten better within the last 10 years, period. No debate. There's no debate about that. The new guys now, the new top 10 now, are better than any top 10 ever. And that's just because the sport's so young and it's developing. You can say that about any sport. And for Kamaru Usman to be as dominant as he's been, just like running through these guys, developing and growing as a striker at as the world champion. Like while he's champ, he's bringing in these new tools and new, new techniques and perfecting his jab and getting the one-two perfect and throwing straight shots better, like better than anyone. I, I see all over the internet every time he fights, people are like, does Kamaru Usman have the best jab in the UFC? So people are talking about a wrestler that had no knockouts. He had like one knockout in his first like 15 fights. They're talking about him having the best jab in the UFC. And the jab is the most important tool in boxing, the single most important punch. So you're talking about a wrestler who near the end of his career is becoming the best at the most important fundamental in boxing. You got to give him credit for that because that just shows one, it shows he's got a great coach in Trevor Whitman, but two, it shows that he's teachable. He goes in there to learn his craft. His ego isn't overwhelming him. He's a student of the game. You can't not be inspired by that. And also, every time he talks, he, he sounds like he's telling a, a scary story. So it's really funny to listen to. So you got to love him, man. <laughs> Go listen to any Kamaru Usman interview. Tell me he doesn't sound like he's like telling you a scary story as he goes. It's really funny. I love it. All right. Who would win between GSP versus Khabib? Logan. Prime. We're going to go prime both these guys. GSP is obviously bigger. He had a lot more striking up top. Khabib's obviously Khabib, though. You know, it's so tough to visualize Khabib losing. Like, how does he lose? Where is the, the hole that he has in his game? But then GSP is so well rounded, you kind of got to be like, could GSP keep him off? I would say Khabib, and I'm going to say they're going to do it at 170 because you just let Khabib hydrate up a little bit. The guy's massive. You look at the size of him now. And then I would say that Khabib would probably be able to just out-pressure and outpace GSP, man. And I think that that's just because, as I said about one second ago, you know, the sport's developed and gotten better, and he dominated guys that were better than the guys GSP dominated, right? And I just mean that in a general sense, right? I'm not saying they looked better in their fights, but I mean just in the general sense of the sport, it's grown and developed. So the guys that GSP dominated might not be at the same level as the guys that Khabib dominated. And even with the size difference, I think that Khabib probably could beat GSP. But that being said, GSP was a pioneer. So when we're talking about goat talk, does that put Khabib above GSP in the goat talk? It doesn't, right? Like they're still just right neck and neck because GSP was a two-time champion. GSP was a pioneer of the sport. GSP did did not have access to the wealth of information that Khabib did. So I, I think that Khabib would win just because of the stage of where the sport is now versus when GSP was as dominant as what he was, right? But that's not taking anything away from GSP. I just think that. I think the sport I think that fighters now are better than people think they are. I think they're I think the gap is different. I think the gap is better than people think it is.
Best weight loss as white uh, advice. Best weight loss advice. Ben Webb. Um, I'm a pretty light guy. I'm a pretty thin guy, just so you guys know. Obviously, uh, weight loss has never been a super difficult thing for me. However, I will say that the thing is that a lot of people miss is their nutrition. And nutrition is more important than training. Nutrition is more important than running till you, you know, puke. And a lot of people will reward themselves after they work out. So they'll do a hard workout and then they'll reward themselves with some food because they earned it or whatever. And it's like, if you eat healthy and you take the steps to eat healthy, you can eat quite a lot and you'd be blown away by how few calories you'll be eating because you're eating healthy food. Like healthy food, you can't overdose on healthy food. You got to eat so much rice to, to have too much rice for the day, right? So dial in your nutrition, man. Like go and research nutrition, find out exactly what is the most important and start boxing, man. And, and the reason I say that is because running, cycling, skipping, these things, these things are good. And a lot of people really do love them, of course. But what I find about boxing, kickboxing, MMA, whatever you want to like combatives, they, they spark that competitive nature within you. And then you're going to be like, well, I want to be the best at this. You know, even if it's just in your local gym, you're, you're going to want to be the best at it. I've got a buddy who, you know, he just completely transformed his body and he just was like, well, I wanted to be a good kickboxer. And it's a lot harder to do that when you're training and you're trying to lose weight just for vanity's sake, right? Like if you're training to lose weight just because ah, I want to look good, it's going to be a lot more difficult to maintain that passion as if you're training to go into a kickboxing or a boxing gym and you don't want to get beat up anymore because your incentive to lose weight and get back in shape is a lot higher when it involves you getting in a fight, right? Or developing and growing in a sport that you become or are passionate about, right? So yeah, find a sport you're passionate about and do the sport, right? Don't just try to lose weight for the sake of losing weight. Don't just try to run until you're tired or bored or whatever it is. Pick a sport, choose that sport. Man, if it's soccer, hockey, rugby, football, whatever you want it to be, like just pick a sport, not just running, right? Not just lifting weights and dial your nutrition in. And I promise you will lose weight. Like it'll happen. Like inarguably. This question is from Rip Hez. What makes you happy to wake up in the morning? Man, deep question. Deep question. What makes me happy? Um, you know, I got a, I got a phenomenal girlfriend. I got a, a nice little family over here. Um, life is good. I'm healthy. I say, you know, even though I have injuries and stuff like that, for the most part, I'm still a healthy guy, you know, so I'm very grateful. I would say that just having gratitude and mission and purpose will make you happy and make you be able to wake up in the morning, man. Purpose and mission are definitely really important and support, family support. All three of those things can make the toughest times positive. And like I said, even earlier, you know, even though I don't, you know, I'm working way more than I would like to be working right now, but I know I'm kind of planting the roots to ideally do YouTube full time or just work less, whatever it might be. But I have a, a purpose and a mission and I have a goal. And then once I achieve that goal, I'll set a new goal and then I'll, I'll have those goals. And that gives you purpose because if you're just sort of there sitting there and not doing anything, you're, you're going to be pretty sad pretty quick. So find a purpose, find a goal, whether it's, Hey man, I want to run five kilometers. Okay. I can't run a kilometer right now. Okay. Well, every day wake up and work towards running five kilometers and right away you'll have more purpose and more happiness. Like you'll just be like, I have a goal and I'm trying to achieve that goal. So for me, if it's getting a hundred thousand followers on, on YouTube or something, 
Okay, well, I'm grinding and working towards that goal, but I have that in my sights, right? I'm trying to do that. If it's, oh, I wanna be financially independent, okay, every day you can wake up and work and you can see money going into your bank account, you can see your investment portfolio growing or whatever it is, and you're going, okay, like I'm, I'm making the right steps and I'm, I'm happy to be able to be keep working on those right steps because there's like an end goal somewhere, right? So I guess that's, I don't know. I'm not like a happiness guru coach. I'm not the happiest guy ever, so. Um, yeah, tough, tough question. Thank you very much for it. I hope that was a decent answer. What do you think of people calling YouTube boxing disrespectful to the sport strike ninja? What I'll say to that man, first off, I, I hate that comment because I think it's so ignorant to what boxing really is. And I think that it's from these like old school boxing heads that they just, they're so in denial about the state of their own sport that they are unwilling to make adaptations to make it do better and grow longer. Right. Boxing is ancient. It's been around forever, right? And fighting, humans have been fighting each other for thousands of years, right? Like bare knuckle boxing, that's been around since the start of time, right? So this is not a new thing, but it has to adapt and grow within the time. And it's got competition now in the form of MMA, right? Combat, combat sports are doing better than they've ever done, but boxing isn't, right? And these guys are just unwilling to adapt, and then they pretend, oh, it's disrespectful to the sport. How, dude? You know what's disrespectful to the sport? What's disrespectful is when a 20-0 and 0 boxer goes and fights a 1-75 and 75 boxer, and the odds are minus 20,000 in his favor to win, and no one says anything about that. And they're just like, well, we're building up the boxer. And it's like, yeah, but that's not a boxing match either, is it? That's just a, a sanctioned beatdown of a guy who gets paid money to get beat up for a living. And no one says that that's, a dis that's disgraceful or disrespectful to the sport. No one says those things. But when you get this massive new young audience of people that are interested in boxing, people are calling it disrespectful when they're fighting each other in more competitive fights than the one I just mentioned. Right? Like literally more competitive fights than these like massive journeyman fights, than these Tommy Fury fights where he's fighting guys that are like two and a hundred, two and 100 losses. And they're calling, you know, FaZe Jarvis fighting that Michael Lee kid disrespectful. That was a better fight than those fights. And it brings in a massive new audience. And I get to see it every day doing this show where I see hundreds and hundreds of people that they'll come in and they'll say, hey, man, I didn't like boxing. I didn't watch boxing. Now, you know, screw watching boxing. Now they box. You know, now they're active in the sport. Now they're trying it out. They watch every card. They're coming to Roundhouse Radio and they're watching me break down pro fighters. They're watching me hype up, you know, Anthony Joshua versus Uzik or the next Canelo fight. And they're going to watch the live stream and they're going to watch the fights. They're going to watch the breakdowns. They're going to they're gonna be in this sport because a couple of YouTube kids beat each other up for fun. You know what it is? So yeah, I think that they're wrong. I passionately think they're wrong. And I think that they're just clinging on to this idea of boxing that isn't even real. Boxing, boxing it, it, riddled with corruption all over the place. Look at the Olympic Games for the past 40 years. How many just insanely corrupt judging decisions have there been, right? Like boxing is not some clean cut, perfect sport. And guys act like it's any more than a sport. It's a sport, guys. That's not war. Someone will tell you it's war. It's not. It's not. I, I promise you it's not. So if you look at it like, what it is, it's a, a beautiful sport, the sweet science, my favorite sport of all time. I deeply love boxing, 
But if you look at it objectively and you say, how do we get more people watching this? The answer is not gatekeep and stop people from watching it because they don't fit the narrative of what you think a boxing fan should be. No. The more people that box and the more people that watch boxing, the better. Period. No if fans are buts. The only reason people say it's disrespectful is because guys like Jake Paul, they're a heel. You know, they're kind of annoying. They do things that are obviously frustrating to people. And they just get emotionally invested in this, like, random kid talking smack to some other guy. And it's like, it's literally just talk. Like, I don't know why you, that would bother you. So, yeah. That's my answer there. My passionate Roundhouse Radio answer on what I think about people calling YouTube boxing disrespectful. No, I don't think it's disrespectful. I think it's, I think it's the best thing that's happened to boxing in the last 40 years is this YouTube boxing crap. 20 years. I'm going to say 40 years. 40 years, a lot of cool stuff was happening in boxing. But the last 20 years, man, YouTube boxing has been the thing that's made it trend upwards instead of trend down. It's just been slowly trending down, and now it's coming back. So, like, yeah, I'm pumped about YouTube boxing. I think it's the best next thing. How could a newbie, a great, a great way to go off this how could a newbie get into watching boxing? This is from a burner burner account for the celebrity. <laughs> you just got to watch, man. You got to use your eyes. <laughs> now, nah, guys, to, to answer this honestly, do not be intimidated by the losers that try to gatekeep boxing and call everyone casuals and do all this crap. Just don't get intimidated by that. Enjoy the sport. Boxing is for everyone. Anyone can watch it. Anyone can be a part of it. Anyone can be part of Roundhouse Radio's community if you want to hit that subscribe button. Boxing is the best. Boxing is for everyone. If you want to watch boxing, watch boxing. Thanks so much, guys. This is another episode of Roundhouse Radio, the Roundhouse Radio podcast. I hope you guys enjoy it. We're getting into it. We're slowly developing and learning and growing how to podcast and everything. If you guys would like to listen to it, you can listen to it wherever you want. If you are listening to it, thank you so much. Make sure to give us one of those free five-star reviews on whatever listening platform you're listening on. If you're on YouTube, make sure to hit the like button, hit that subscribe button. Thank you guys so much. This is Roundhouse Radio. Take it easy, guys.